It's religion today, it's ideology today, and our secularist friends also have a faith. Some kind of Disneyland fantasy. I know how this is going to get heard in the secular world. Where the pseudo-Christian masks are off. That's nonsense, ladies and gentlemen. Apologetics isn't just about giving answers to other people's questions. It's also about learning to question other people's answers or even question the question itself. In a Christian worldview. Well, welcome to quantum number 135. Uh, this week we're going to Mars, the Czech Republic, Scotland, Russia, uh, just so many different places. Uh, let's begin with Mars though. Listen to this sound. That, and this to me is just an amazing thing. That is, and you can see some video of this as well. We've actually got video of Mars. Now, we have no indication or awareness of whether there are any Martians, almost certainly not. But I just think the initial set of images from this were absolutely fascinating. Uh, we'll see what the further transmissions bring. Do you know, sometimes people say, well, as a Christian, would your faith be disturbed if there was life on other planets? No, why? Because... God could have done that. There's a man called Thomas Chalmers, who's one of the founders, the main founder of the Free Church of Scotland, my denomination. And in the 19th century, he wrote a book called Astronomical Discourses, in which he speculated that there could be life on other planets. We don't have evidence for any yet, but for me, this is it's just amazing to be able to see that. Okay, let's go to the US and a sad milestone was passed, as BBC Radio Scotland reported. We often hear people described as ordinary Americans. There's no such thing. There's nothing ordinary about them. The people we lost were extraordinary. The United States has marked a heartbreaking milestone, the deaths of more than half a million Americans from the virus. That's higher than the death toll from World War I, World War II and the Vietnam War combined. Speaking before a minute's silence, President Joe Biden said they should remember all those lost to COVID-19 and those left behind. 500 candles lit up the White House steps and the Washington National Cathedral told its morning bell... Now more than 500,000 people... That is a tremendous amount in, in anyone's book, and it really is just desperately sad. However, note the way that it's reported, because I do find this just a little bit disturbing. And there are some lessons for us to learn from it. First of all, 500,000 people died from COVID or with COVID. The distinction is important. Secondly, the comparison that's being made with the World Wars and the Vietnam War that's not a healthy comparison. Why? Because those were wars where people were, people who were not dying were killed. Now, what we've got a situation here is that there will be an increase in total in the number of deaths per year. But it's not as massive as people might make. The fact is, 2.7 million people die in the US every year. 
Do people make long speeches about that? It's as though we're treating death as something unusual, but death comes to all of us. We are born to die, if you like. And, and it seems to me that there's the way that this is being reported and being treated is almost as though we were eternal beings who were not meant to die. Well, yeah, that's probably true if you accept a Christian perspective on the world and want to receive eternal life from Christ. But in normal human terms, I'm afraid it's not true. Millions, I think 55 million people die in the world every year. And then let's just think about the number of children who die because of abortion. That's another factor that's not reported in these breathless terms. But let's come to some good news on COVID. The two vaccines approved and in use in Britain, the AstraZeneca and the Pfizer one, there's a study come out from Edinburgh which shows an 85% reduction in hospitalizations and the AstraZeneca one, amazingly, 94%. So And they also prevent spread. And we've just heard that Johnson & Johnson va- vaccine in the US, it's, and it's a one-shot one, that it also is effective in both areas. And that is good news. It, it, it's something that we hope will result in life getting back to what we describe as normal as soon as possible. Although I suspect that is going to take some time, and I suspect that there are some powers that governments have taken to themselves that they're going to be extremely reluctant to give back. Okay, we do have to go to Scotland, and this time because the story in Scotland is a world story. I want to introduce it with this song. It's an English band singing Robbie Burns' Parcel of Rogues, Steel Ice Band. Now, how do I begin to even explain this saga? Let me, I can give you a rough outline, but it, it's, and which is probably more than you'll get in, in a lot of the media coverage. But the rough outline is simply this, that Alex Salmond was the first minister of Scotland. His protege was Nicola Sturgeon. After she took over and he kind of resigned, uh, there's, his behavior is considered by some to have been eccentric. But anyway, in 2018, the Scottish government launched an internal investigation into allegations of sexual harassment stemming from his time as First Minister. Salmon was arrested and charged with a long series of sexual offences, including attempted rape. However, he was tried and acquitted by a jury on all counts last March. Then the Scottish Parliament, which is dominated by the SNP, set up a very narrow inquiry headed by an SNP MSP into how the SNP government handled internal complaints against Salmond. You get that? An SNP government 
with an SNP MSP with an SNP dominated Scottish Parliament investigated itself. Now, what happens is that Salmond has made accusations that there is a malicious and concerted attempt to damage my reputation and remove me from public life in Scotland. And he specifically names people, including Nicola Sturgeon's husband, Peter Murrell, who is the head of the SNP, basically. He's the chief executive of it. And Sturgeon is the head of Scotland. It really, when you look at the details of this, it really becomes quite astonishing. Salmond alleges that Murrell deployed his senior staff to recruit and persuade staff and ex-staff members to submit police officers' complaints. Anyway, he claims to have evidence. Now, this is what Nicola Sturgeon said. He is putting forward, so it appears to me, to uh, be putting forward claims of conspiracy or plots against him. He has the burden of proof on that. So far, there's not a shred of evidence about that. There's assertion, insinuation, smears against people. Well, if he's got evidence, I don't think he has because I don't believe it happened, then this is his opportunity to put that forward. And if he can't, then it's time to stop making these claims. You know, because actually what happened is that women came forward with complaints about his behaviour uh, and the government and then others had to deal with those. Now, here's the astonishing thing. She denied him the right to put that evidence. That, that for me was breathtaking. Oh, He can go, but they've redacted a lot of the evidence, which, by the way, you can get on the Spectator website, so I'm not sure what the point was. But it does seem as though the point was to prevent him actually testifying. I was so astounded at this. I wrote a tweet, which just amazed me. This, You know, my tweets normally, what, 1,000, 2,000, maybe 5,000. Sometimes people read... More than a quarter of a million people have read or passed on this one. Sturgeon goes on TV to declare that there is not a shred of evidence for Salmon's claims, claims and asks him to produce it. Then her government bans him from producing that evidence. This is not a Monty Python skit. This is Scotland in 2021. As one writer puts it, it's hard to decide what stands out most. The brazenness of the Crown Office, the cowardice of the Scottish Parliament, the telling silence of the Scottish Government, the utter humiliation of a fatally compromised committee. Or perhaps it's this, the unshakable suspicion that this is the best we can hope for from devolution. I don't know anything that has so un undermined the Scottish Government and devolution than this. And it astounds me that, um, well, I just don't know where this is going to go, but... It, it's, it reeks of corruption. We were bought and sold for English gold Such a parcel of rogues in a nation Okay, speaking of corruption, uh, let's go to another country. Let's go to the Czech Republic and let's introduce it with this piece of music. For those of you who are cultured people, you will recognize that as Hans Zimmer, the theme for Pirates of the Caribbean. Why are we doing that with the Czech Republic? I mean, it's a, it's a land-bound place. Does it have pirates? Well, it does. It has a pirate party. If you don't know about the pirate party... <laughs> sorry. 
Um, the pirate party was throughout the world or in many countries, its aims were just to reform copyright law and legalize marijuana. Uh, it's a kind of a joke party. And yet the latest polls have the pirate party in the Czech Republic likely to become the largest party and maybe even form the government. Now, what they've done is they've created a major platform. They've advocated individual freedom, modernization, democratic reform, being uh, advocate the use of technology, lower income tax rate, um, so on. They, they, their program is actually, as someone uh, has put it, impressively far reaching. The party has a large uh, following, especially amongst young people. And here's why. They're seen as open, reliable, relatable, honest. In the 2017 elections, they took 22 out of 200 seats. The pirate Zendik Herb, if forgive the pronunciation for any Czech listeners, and there are some, who became mayor of Prague. Their current leader is, is dreadlocked and everything else, but I mean, he comes across really well. They are able to proclaim that they are the only Czech party unconnected with corruption and sleaze. The pirate party. Yeah, I, I, I almost was going to put that in the, in the mad section, but no, it, this is, this is serious. And, you know, who knows? Who knows? All right, let's go to our national anthem of the week. Well, all my Mexican friends, yes, uh, again, like most of the national anthems, very militaristic, let gird, O fatherland, your brow with olive by the divine angel of peace, for in heaven your eternal destiny was written by the finger of God. But if some enemy outlander should dare to profane your ground with his soul, as in shoe of his soul, think, O beloved fatherland, that heaven has given you a soldier in every son. Mexico, of course, includes God in the national anthem because it is a profoundly Catholic country. Or actually was. Um, Protestants have become more than 10% of the population in the country for the first time ever. F for the figures from the 2020 census, the Protestant evangelical movement has increased within a decade from 7.5% to 11.2%. The proportion of Catholics in Mexico has dropped from 98% to 88%. That, sorry, that was 1950 to 2000. But now it's down to 77%. Uh, there are many reasons for this. Uh, Pentecostalism is the predominant form of Protestantism, but there's a very large uh, Baptist, Presbyterian and Methodist church. It would be fascinating to see uh, how that affects the whole country. Maybe Christians from America might want to cross uh, the Rio Grande and, and uh, go in exile into Mexico. All right, well, let's come to the mad world section. Harvard slavery. This is unbelievable. But there's a report from Harvard where a team of elite medical researchers 
have produced cutting-edge research which states that to defeat coronavirus, America doesn't really need a vaccine, just has to pay every black person in the country $250,000. They claim that their study shows that reparations for slavery would have radically reduced US infections and death rates from coronavirus. Amazing, really. I think scholarship is becoming just increasingly dominated by people's political views, and we needn't really bother with the scholarship. Speaking of political views, Amazon censorship. Now, I wrote a review of this book, When Harry Became Sally, Responding to the Transgender Moment, book by Ryan T. Anderson. Utterly, utterly brilliant book, published in 2018. Best thing I think I've ever read on transgender. It's fully documented. It's scholarly. It's empathetic. It's brilliant. But Amazon have now banned it. Uh, they didn't even tell him. They banned it. Of course, as a result, his sales have rocketed up elsewhere because people have. It, this has become news. But why? Think of the stuff that's available on Amazon. It says it doesn't meet their values. The usual story. And then here's an organization I used to belong to called Amnesty International. I left them a long time ago because they were going crazy and they're getting crazier. They have stripped the Russian opposition politician Alexei Navalny of his prisoner of conscious status. Why? Because they've been bombarded with complaints highlighting xenophobic comments that he's made in the past and not renounced. Um, these complaints have come largely, a lot of them have come from a Twitter thread by Katya Kazbek, a freelance columnist who's published by the pro-Kremlin channel RT, amongst others. She describes herself as a feminist LGBT researcher, citizen of the world. But as a citizen of the world, her posts include praise of Stalin and also echo the Kremlin's claims that Alexei Navalny is controlled by the US government. Well done, Amnesty International. Never mind the pirate party, you have become a joke. All right, here's, here's a song that I'm not sure he'll appreciate. I, I really, really like this guy. The good sun walked into the field. He is a tiller. He has a tiller's hand. But deeper down in his heart now, he's a laid down queer plan. Against his brother and against his family. Yet he worships his brother and he worships his mother. But it's his father he says is an unfair man. The good Nick Cave. The good son has sat and often wept beneath a malign star by which he's kept, and in the night time in which he's wrapped speaks of good and speaks of evil, and he calls to his mother and he calls to his father, but they are deaf in the shadows of his brother's truancy. I, again, 
his his poetry is Cohen-like, Leonard Cohen-like, and that's about the highest quality. But I, I come to Nick Cave because I was sent this, which I thought was fascinating, The Red Hand Files, where someone asked him that he'd been reading, Nick Cave had been uh, talking about his relationship with Christ. I've been reading Tolstoy's The Gospel in brief and wondered if you had read the short book, What Does Christ Mean to You? I hear his name mentioned in many of your songs. And Cave says this, you're right to say that there is some ambiguity in my relationship with Christ. And I don't consider myself a, Christ, a Christian, at least most of the time, as Bob Dylan would say. Spiritual matters for me are always evolving, never static, and are energised by their mystery and uncertainty and attendant struggle. However, this much I think is true. I believe that there is a unifying essentialness within all people, the spirit, the soul, and that this spirit is innocent and good and connected to the divine. Over that essential spirit of goodness, we place throughout our lives mechanisms, strategies, agendas, defences, transgressions, layers of behaviour that collect and deepen, like Philip Larkin's coastal shelf, and engulf that core of goodness, separating us from the divine nature of the world. Although I believe this, I find it extremely hard to actually connect deeply with these invisible notions, the spirit and the soul. Well, you may consider that all awful. I, I actually do consider it quite profound as he's wrestling and trying to struggle with the fact that we all have within us this burden that God has given us because he has made us in his image. And we long for beauty and we long for meaning. We long for truth within our corrupt natures. And Nick Cave needs to learn, as we all do, that that can only be found in Christ. Okay, before we finish, let me come to some of your feedback, actually, and some of your comments. Um, highly, highly appreciated in so many ways. Uh, and thank you for people who've contacted from so many different countries and the news that you've given. And um, We had someone from Estonia, delighted to hear the Estonian national anthem being pay played. And I've met several people from Nepal, actually, as well. And we were talking about the church in Nepal. So listen, hey, if there's any Mexicans out there, say hi. Um, you are, you should be aware by now, uh, the Australian government, there's a battle with Facebook. I think by the time this goes out, it may be sorted. I hope it will be. But it does mean that um, if people get this through my blog, um, you basically better, don't rely on Facebook. Facebook are not allowing me to post any links from here because it's Australia, and they apparently regard me as a news service, which is great, because when they go back online, I hope they'll pay me for it. Um, somebody else wrote me, I'll not say who, but I thought this poem was McGonagall-esque in its uh, style. And if you don't know who William Topaz McGonagall is, he's the worst poet in the world from Dundee. Anyway, this poem was sent to me. A wee flea's on the prowl in the air, which often gets into your hair. It itch may annoy, but it calls out ahoy. As Christians, you must be aware. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'll not say who that was, but I hope they don't give up their day job. Right. Going to love you and leave you with a song that is 50 years old. This is the 50-year anniversary of one of the greatest pop songs ever. A long, long time ago I can still remember how that music used to make me smile And I knew if I had my chance 
That I could make those people dance And maybe they'd be happy for a while That, of course, is Don McLean, American Pie. Um, Still after 50 years, people are saying, what do all the words mean? There's a verse, for example, did you write the book of love? And do you have faith in God above if the Bible tells you so? Do you believe in rock and roll? Can music save your mortal soul? And can you teach me how to dance real slow? It is a song about the death of Buddy Holly and others. It's a song... I wonder a little bit sometimes if it's a nonsense song, but I don't think it is. I think that um, he just rhymed words together about issues that he was thinking about. Uh, It's great music. It's a great song. I'm going to love you and leave you with it. Uh, Please feel free to support Quantum on the Podbean fundraiser. Feel free to pass on about it. Uh, Feel free to send me news and suggestions and criticisms. Otherwise... God bless you, and we shall see you next week. Did you write the book of love, and do you have faith in God above? If the Bible tells you so, and do you believe in rock and roll? Can music save your mortal soul, and can you teach me how to dance real slow? the day that I Yeah.
singing right, singing this will be the day that I 